Welcome to Freedive, to go deeper and emerge with a greater appreciation. Join us as we take a deep dive into the people, skills and expertise of Pensar's infrastructure specialists and their unusual approach to making complicated problems simple. Tune in for the stories behind the solutions and the personalities behind the expertise. Well, thanks, boys. I'm welcomed here for uh, Freedive Episode 5 on what a good project looks like. Got Lewis Hayes, P. McDonald, and Timothy Down. Say good day, guys. Hello, Carl. How are you? How are we going? Really good. Really good. Before we kick off, just a little quick round the table, because there's quite a few new people in Pensar that may not know mm. you guys. You've all been around a long time, but we might start with the elder statesman and work backwards. Tim, just a mm. few seconds on uh, yeah, sure. the um, and what you do. Thanks, Carl. I've been with Pensar for probably 16, 17 years now. Started the building division way back in, I think it was 2005. Mm, would be that. Um, we did a raft of different jobs, but we really took off in the water industry by doing some smaller SEQ water jobs and it just grew from there. Mm. When we started structures probably five years ago. Mm. And here we are. And... Tim, also known as Downsy, has as a director in the business and has also, before Pensar, has done a carpentry apprenticeship and entered the building trade as a self-employed builder and then built a number of residential and commercial uh, mm. projects prior to joining Pensar. So knows projects from, I guess, the ground up, which is mm. kind of a unique skill set. We'll throw to Pete. How long have you been um, in the business, Pete? Hanging around for eight years now, so... Started fresh out of uni, did construction management at uni and then got a job at Pensar, first and only construction job. So, yeah, it's been great, great mm. ride so far and a long way to go. Mostly in the structures and building with Tim. Yeah, it's been um, started in estimating with Tim and then worked into the project delivery team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what, 30 years left till I retire, 35? You've got it worked wow. out. Mm. That's good planning. Counting down. <laughs> Have you got a chart on the wall where you're crossing the days off? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Big <closer. laughs> No, I'm doing that. Counting up. <laughs> <laughs> and Louis. Yeah, so I'm in the business for six years, nearly seven. Started when I was still in uni. I got a job because I was working in the Bottolo and got Paul Doherty's, who used to work for us, oh. got his card and emailed him and I have been here ever since. Could have cut from the bottle Yeah, Yeah, he was a patron and I every time a construction company or vehicle came through, I just asked for a card and, yeah, that's how I was trying to get a job. I love it. A smart man. So that's how I'm here. So I've got a fair bit of experience here in the room and a lot of time in Pensar, so I don't know how many projects between these guys that we would have delivered, but it's hundreds. Yeah. Um, so I guess we're here to talk about what makes a good project and I think we might just move away from what it, good outcome looks like because I think that's kind of reasonably well documented on time, on budget, safely, mm. look after the environment and all that sort of stuff. We're probably trying to look at what are some of the the key things that go into a good project outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you boys have thought about this a fair bit before you came in, so I might, I might kick up, off with Tim and then we might sort of even just throw to each of you about just thinking about maybe... What's the top, I guess, thing that you think goes into making a good project? Mm. Yeah, sure. 
I guess it depends on the individual and how they feel about different sectors. But for me personally, I think if a, a standout for me would be if there's a point of difference or a project that comes along that's a little bit left of centre and it's a bit interesting mm-hmm. and they, there's a bit of unknown about it, so it's a bit challenging and you have to deep dive and do some investigative work to find out and figure out actually how to build the thing because a lot of it is pretty vanilla and it's pretty standard sort of stuff. So to find a project that is out of the box, first of all and foremost, that's what grabs my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've got that attention, then it's it becomes quite easy because you get a little bit excited about trying to develop a construction methodology on and the most efficient way to build that So thing. why don't you think, what is it about a job that you might have done the same many times over that why would that not be a good job? Oh, they, they can certainly be good jobs and it becomes a little bit of second nature. If it's repetitive work, it'll be different based on clients. One of the things you need to do, I think, is understand who the client is and what makes them tick. And if they've got any key drivers that you may not be aware of that aren't present in the uh, tender documentation that you need to identify, and that just comes about from communication with the client. Mm. Right. So interesting work. Pete, what do you think on that? Oh, certainly. I guess getting handed a job to deliver and it's a new set of tasks and it's an interesting project really gives myself an opportunity to learn a new set of skill sets. And just doing and delivering new projects for Pensar, it's, it grows our. Yeah. So motivation. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. if you get out of bed and you sort of, it's all a bit ho-hum, then it's going to be hard to make it an outstanding project. Absolutely. In a lot of ways. Yeah. What do you reckon, Louis? Yeah, I definitely agree. If it's interesting, then you're going to be more keen to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience having delivered projects that are well-planned and poorly planned seeing both sides of the spectrum, focusing on upfront actually planning Mm. and just even if that's just doing a drawing yourself to understand how you're going to build it, usually then it's worth its weight in gold Mm. rather than turn up to site and trying to figure it out, Mm. which I think at Pensar that's where we add a lot of value. That's Mm -hmm. why we're good at what we do. So for me, that's something I've personally focused on in the last few years is just even if you have to pump the handbrakes and say, well, we're not ready. Previously, I'd almost be, I'd be like, oh, no, right, we'll figure it out on site. And I've tried that and it doesn't work. Mm. You end up chasing your tail from the start. and mm. On the back foot. Yeah, which then, mm. then reflects in, like, at the start of the project, you want to set the right impression from with the client that you're doing a good job and you know what you're doing. If from the, the get-go you're chasing your tail, they can see that and then they lose faith in you and then you're just trying to, get their faith while you're also trying to build a job, you're getting pulled in every direction, which then becomes very hard mm. to do all of them well. I think, P, you mentioned that earlier as well about planning. What yeah. do you think on that one? Oh, look, it, early planning gives you a chance to innovate, gives you a chance to make things more efficient in your project. Mm. And honestly, it just makes the project run smooth from, mm. from start to finish. You get a far more time. I've always had, you know, over the years, people say, oh, you can't plan for everything and... I actually disagree. I think you can nearly plan for everything. I think it's about one of the key things for me is planning for when things don't go to plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's often overlooked. You know, you can have a plan, but what are you going to do when that plan changes Watch for something you can't yeah. control? Yeah. yeah. And actually having contingency 
thoughts on how things might be approached if, you know, mm. there'd only be a handful of risks that could materialise that you don't really know about and then being open to how to solve them on the way through. Yeah. I think it's pretty important. I do agree with Louis too because if you're not ready, I think slowing the process down, even though there's pressures from clients, et cetera, quite often the guys are finishing a project and another one starting and it's a mad rush to get going. Mm. If you can spend the time and you're, it's almost mandatory, you should spend the time to pull the whole thing apart. Mm. Everyone gets their head around it and work the thing right through. Yeah, prior I agree. To starting. We used to do a lot of land subdivision construction way back in the day and they were the development industry was possibly the worst for commencing things before they're fully ready to start. Mm, and before you have all the permits and everything. Yeah, because yeah. you end up with an operational works approval for the civil works, which doesn't include the sewer and water mains because that's UU instead of council. Then the clearing permits hit handled by somebody else, but they'd always pressure us to start, start, mm. start, start. And even in that scenario, we would say, if this approval doesn't come by this date, it's going to cost this mm. to have it sitting around. And despite all of that, they'd never get their approvals on time. We'd be sitting around and they wouldn't pay the bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, And no one wants to pay that bill. So I agree with you. I think it's got to be a hard no. We're not under no circumstance are we starting until mm. we've got confidence that once we start, we can finish. Which I've found with a client, you can delay a client if you like give them the worst case scenario. So mm. I'll start tomorrow, but I'm not ready. And there's these risks on the project that if any of them come to a head, mm. it's going to be both our problems. How about we just pump the brakes and yeah. Yeah, and I reckon safety is compromised in that situation as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, mm. You rush and things. rushing things through. Yeah. I remember also having clients say, oh, yeah, it would ring me daily back when I was running projects, which is quite a while ago, but <laughs> they'd be ringing me daily saying, why hasn't the machinery started? Why hasn't the machinery? We signed the contract last week, should be here now, blah, 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 blah. I just keep saying to them, it's not where you start. <laughs> Mm. It's where you finish. Like we would always deliver the project on time, but there's so much pressure to start. Mm. Have you seen that change in the last five, ten years, Carl, having wrapped up civil urban operations? Good question. I think that particular industry is very fragmented, yeah, and very disorganised. Yep. I think the infrastructure industry that we play in now is typically better organised. I think the projects are more complex. The implications of taking a plant offline and not getting it back on in time, the ramifications of that are a lot uh, mm. more severe. So clients I think, need you well planned. Yeah, and I think the clients are better planned to a large degree as well. Like I look at some of the bigger projects we're doing, like Mount Crosby at the moment, that ECI, the planning going into that is extraordinary and we're integrated into that team. And I think that's like the gold standard when the contractor can get engage with the client early and develop that design collaboratively and it's designed to build mm. and I just think that you get much better alignment in that. But you certainly don't get that in a land subdivision project. No, lower barrier to entry too, I guess, yeah. like the general go, go, market. Go. Yeah, it's just we can get any contractor to do it. So, And maybe that ties in a little bit with what you said before about sort of unique projects with you know, the interesting scope and all that sort of stuff that probably does keep out a lot of that commodity type construction activity. Yeah. We are specialists as a company. Like even though we have specialist divisions or business units internally, Hmm. just as a company, we're a specialist company. Yeah, I agree. Not a lot of people do what we do. 
No, um, and you can't really put your finger on it sometimes, but it's no. we do do those projects that require a bit more thinking, mm. a bit more planning, yep. some complex logistics, some complex technical elements. Yeah, uh, And I think that's, you know, the beauty of what we do. Mm. So we've just quickly touched on interesting projects and we've talked about sort of planning. What else comes to mind for you guys as being really important? In I think feeding into planning is having a complete design before you start the job. Yeah. Or having that early contractor involvement, back to your point, the client acknowledges that the design isn't completed and there's no rush to get to the start. So mm. having delivered projects that are fully complete and having delivered projects that have an incomplete design at the start, it's always, again, you're back on the back foot when you do start the project. So, mm. so you found on projects with incomplete design, they've been pro- more problematic on the way through? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, you get to a stage and you're still requiring an answer on how to undertake the works, but um, Almost always you can't. tier one designers. Absolutely, mm. yeah. And I guess the natural extension of that thinking is when you look at your supply chain, we have got some very good subcontractors and suppliers that support us to do our work. And if we're disorganised from the top down, then their experience on the project is disjointed, Mm. um, unorganized, and they're probably not going to show up with their A game either. So I I feel like that planning is critical for the supply chain. Charge it for the delay. So it's cost. Mm. In the current market. Cost in the company, yeah. Yeah, it's it's far more difficult to get Mm. subcontractors Mm. onboarded Mm. as well within a short amount of time. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you think about it, if, You'd always want to put your A team on the best projects with the most organised client. Agreed. So you can knock it out of the park. And I think that goes for our suppliers as well. Mm. Uh, one for me, I have found the last few projects is like setting expectations with the client up front mm-hmm. and having a meeting early on around everything, quality, financials, also like the doom scenarios. Like what's the worst thing that could happen in this project commercially? safety environment and sitting down with them having that discussion and almost like running through like a bit of a right if this happens what are we going to do speak about the unspeakables almost yeah yeah like just because everyone's thinking Mm. about like you know if there's a delay what do we do so just talk about if there's a delay what do we do run down the rabbit hole of what everyone's going to do and it might not ever arise but when it does arise you've already had that awkward conversation earlier so Mm. it's like oh we spoke about this we've documented this in this email or meeting minutes whatever it is it's very easy to action then, mm. whereas in the heat of the moment, for a delay, for example, everyone's emotions are brought into it and just drags on and on and on. Mm. So yeah, I found that's, point. yeah. Scenario planning. Yeah, really helpful. And in that conversation, are you also trying to determine what are the customer's most important outcomes for that project? Yeah, what do they what want? What are the really important things to them? Yeah, yeah, because our priority is to get out of there, deliver a quality project and make money. Mm. Obviously, they're... Priorities are sometimes time. They want it done yesterday. Mm. Sometimes it's cost. They want it done. No variations. You can take years to do it. Quality is usually pretty standard in what we do. Everyone's high quality. Mm. But yeah, I agree. Getting those locked in up front, then you can talk to that and work with them. They might then say, we don't care about time. So you're comfortable then submitting EOTs very easily. Mm. You know it's not going to be an issue to them. Whereas a variation, you might have to go, right, I've got to prepare this very well and even sit down with them ahead of time and say, hey, there's going to be a variation for this. How are we going to work through it? Mm. So that's a bit of a 
smooth the process. Mm. Certainly feel having a collaborative client allows us an ability to deliver a project more fluidly. Mm. Which a lot of the service providers, well, I guess it varies, but some of them are really good, which makes everyone's life easier. If you're there to deliver the project, it's so easy compared to if someone's hitting you over the head with the contract, it's mm. not very productive. You're all chasing the same goal. Yeah. Delivery partners. Yeah, what do you mean by that, Tim? <laughs> well, we've had a long-term relationship with Downer and one of the conversations we had, I'll never forget it, was you're not a contractor anymore, you're more of a delivery partner and that really stuck with me um, because we were collaborative and we'd work solutions together, we'd work the program together, we'd deliver news to urban utilities because they had obviously key drivers that they needed to finish things in order for shutdowns for urban utilities to do network works or whatever. So mm. it was just working those solutions together mm. um, which, as a team, which really makes a difference. Yeah, mm. that like in back to the inspiring, like you get out of bed and keen to go to work. If mm. your client's keen to be there as well, it's so easy to yeah. rock up every day and yep. work with them rather than against them. It's one of those things on a project when you're about to launch into it, one of the, now that we're talking about, possibly one of the most important things is the person in the key mm. decision-making role, right? The project manager on that project, the key playmaker. Yeah. And it's often we have no idea who that's going to be. Yeah, it's just the luck of the draw. Project manager slash superintendent. And that person's approach and personality dictates the entire mm. outcome of that project. Yeah, which I find as a project manager you... A lot of your job is obviously managing a project, but it's managing the client as well. And yeah. you've got to learn who they are, what their drivers are, how they respond exactly. to things so you can best situate yourself in their life to try and make their life as easy as possible mm. while still delivering everything we need to do. Rather than if you just meet them head on and try and beat them at everything they do and yell and scream at them, my experience, that does not work at all. Agreed. Especially new clients too and you don't know them. Mm. It's a learning process and yeah, you are. I mean, the project manager is one thing, but brand new clients that you don't know, you haven't worked with before and they might have a different style than others. Mm. I think you mentioned it the other day, Carl, I think it was you, when delivering information to, to clients that there's a person on the other end. Mm. It's not just a company. It's not the government. Mm. That person's receiving that information. They're trying to do their job properly, yep. correctly as well. So man management, people management is... Certainly as much mm. yeah, and they've part of project too. management. Yeah. Mm. For the report too. Yeah. So mm. their key driver is looking good in their job yep. as well. Having said that, I have come across customers that I guess you have to retire because it's too adversarial. It's too difficult. And I think that's okay. Mm. I actually think we've got to be mature enough to say and confident enough that there is a lot of good customers and good relationships out there that occasionally we're going to come across one where as a company we say, you know what, our values aren't aligned. Mm. And the 80-20, how much effort you're putting in for too how much, much reward. You know, and I think that alignment of styles and values, it's not always going to be perfect, but if it's at opposite ends of mm. the spectrum, then we're better off declining mm. those projects, I Look think. For but it's, it's a difficult decision to make when a business is always looking to grow and find new projects, but I think... Every time we've taken one on where we weren't sure, I think mm. in the end of the day we would say we probably would have been better off without that and focus our energy on two or three other really good projects in the same time. Mm. Which comes with the maturity of the business, I suppose. Like yeah. at first it's yes, 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 everything. Like we yes, need all everything. the work, we're keen to do it. Now yeah, we're getting exactly. to that stage where we can be selective in what we want to do. 
Yeah. Because we've learned the lessons of a new client, new job on a very critical piece of infrastructure. It might not be the best choice mm. for just for an example, but like I think now we have that maturity of the business, we can have the confidence that there's going to be work there for us so we can say, no, thanks. We'll. And we've probably all worked on a bad job. Yeah, the time and energy by being stuck on a bad job that's not proactive, it might be behind financially on time and the clients all over you. Mate, it's a vortex of resources and energy and money and time. It's try hard encompassing. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yep. And they yep. always, and you throw everything at it to try yep. and yeah. make and it better. Your energy just depletes. Yep. And at the end, it always finishes badly financially as yeah. well. Like those mm. there's a direct correlation uh, mm. between how that pans out. Mm. Which is yeah, it's funny. Well, I find I take it very personally when you're on a job that goes bad. Mm. And that for me sits with me real heavy. It's like I'm not doing that again. Mm. So you try and reflect on like what could I've done differently. Mm. Like for me, that's how I got to being so proactive in planning up front because you'd be on one or two jobs where things don't go well. It's like I'm not doing that again. I'm not dealing with that mm. in, energy. In hindsight, you look back on those jobs and you go, oh, it's, that was a steep learning curve. But oh, yeah. I'm glad I went through it yeah, yeah, in definitely. some sense. And a lot of the time it's not the delivery either. This this can stem from, um, you know, right at tender stage mm. where things might have been missed during the tender stage for whatever reason. Of course, then you win the job. Hooray. <laughs> but then the delivery team's got to deliver it and it's that's where the, the angst and the hurt yeah. comes in. So so you're, you're saying a lot of bad jobs come out of sort of tendering and right at, the right start, at the start. I can identify the few that we've had have been, I can identify the actual issue at the tender stage that it's a clear miss. I always think of the tendering phase as the gate. Mm. It's like the gatekeeper. Mm. Every good or bad job comes through that gate. There's no other way a job can get into the business, right? So Agreed. the importance yep. of screening out good and bad projects and putting the time in up front is absolutely instrumental to the downstream. I think in tendering there's always swings and roundabouts. Um, however, a miss is very difficult. Like a, a hole is very hard to fill. If there's no number for an item, it's extremely hard to fill. I think that really talks to the, the importance of a budget and finances mm. on a project as well because... Mm. I mean, we've had some projects that do go poorly financially, but the end result, the client objectives have been met, the quality's really high, the safety's been good. And you win awards. You win awards, yes. Which are on those ones where they, you have all those boxes you have to tick and financial's one you can't tick successfully, then you've got to make sure you tick all the other ones. Yes. Client's happy, quality's mm. good. Yeah, you've got to make sure it's a positive project in those aspects if you, you already know you can't tick that financial box. Which yep. then you can so that sort of gives it a positive light. Then you can say, right, well, this one that's going to be a draining conversation every time I talk about financials, but I can talk positively about all these other things and pump yourself up. We're yep. all confidence players, so mm. you like talking about the good stuff. At the end of the day, I mean, we're working for clients, and so we're providing a service for clients, and we need them. Mm. Yeah, so they don't I care guess. if we're not making money. Well. I'm sure they do have some concern. Some, but some might, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's a contract between two parties. Yep. We've got a service to provide. Look, some of those jobs anchor ourselves in that market and Agreed. and yep. speciality um, mm. allow us to develop as a company in those areas. So uh, they could be looked on as positive in that sense too. 
Absolutely. I think you're right, Pete, just reflecting on a couple of projects there that being in a position on the back foot there that forces you to think of a new strategy on the mm. run, which forces you then to, we've had to move quickly on a few projects where we've actually come up with new technology mm. to at least come out with a reasonable outcome. Which yeah, is a success. To me, that's success, yeah. yeah. And to, to see then that that client running with that technology and on future works is, mm. there's your proof right there. Ticks a box. Mm. Tick. <laughs> We've got a lot of new people in our team and with, I guess, the rapid sort of growth over the last 12, 18 months. But I think when you put together a team for a project, if there's too many fresh people into the business on that project, I think that can lead to problematic outcomes. And because they don't have the skills or the capability, just because they don't know how the business runs, how the rhythm of it, the culture of it. So I feel like when we're approaching projects, if you don't have at least half the team as being Pensar people who've been around for a while and understand how we work, they really run the risk. Definitely. I don't know what you guys think of that. Yeah, I agree. When there's new people on the team, they're trying to learn how Pensar works, mm. how we make decisions as a business. So them to then action those decisions at the same time they're trying to learn it, it's very hard. So their capacity's dropped. And then as a management team, if you're trying to train people at the same time as delivering a project, that soaks up time as well. So then you will potentially drop the important things, like you might drop a bit of planning to train this person because if you don't train them, they're not going to get any better and you're just going to hurt yourself in the future. So it's definitely a risk, a project mm. risk that should be considered, I mm. think. Yeah. We've got this this Pensar DNA, how we deliver a project and what makes us look good to a client. And then we've got people who do come into the business who are very keen and, and malleable and, and it's quite easy with training to bring those um, new resources to the level that you need them. And I think a number of our team that we've brought on in the last, call it two years, have the ability to grow as part of the team and we're all working in that one direction. So teamwork's an absolutely critical part of project success and project delivery. Yeah. As is mentoring, if you are in a situation where you've got a new project team, under you add on a project, you're not there all the time. That's when it gets tricky, right? Because we really do have to delegate and let people take responsibility, but without having sort of time in the saddle, it's a big risk because mm. things can get off track without you really knowing about it. So I think, well, I guess what that comes back to, I think good project outcomes are going to come from having the right team, really good people on your team that know how each other operate and the risk of growing, what affects that is if we try to grow the business too fast. So I think in the last 12 months, probably not so much now, but the 12 months prior to the last nine months, so when we took on a couple of really big projects and scaled up quickly. I think we saw some of the problems that are associated with that and on reflection, nearly doubling our revenue really in over a 12, 18-month period is probably too much. Mm, definitely. And that so comes back to a planning, business-wide planning. Yeah, scenario, I agree with that. Where yep. if you're growing at sort of, call it 10 to 20% a year, then that is probably a sustainable type growth trajectory to ensure that we don't have too many new seats on mm. the bus. That also comes back to a discussion we've been having a lot internally is our systems and how we improve our systems to then grow. We 
focused on growth heaps, which was really good, and we grew really well. We left that systems part behind. We didn't really give it much attention or priority, which now I think we see that you come out the other side and you're like, oh, this is awesome, we've grown heaps, but we haven't grown the system that we use. Yeah, we stretched everything to the max. Yeah. And a bit past that problem. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's interesting to be a part of that to actually see, okay, our next lagging leg in growth is the system. Catch up. Like, let's bring that up and then the next one is we can focus on. Yeah. It's really cool to actually see it happen. Mm. Yeah. Lewis, we're talking about innovation sort of earlier and how important that is into a successful project. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a bit about what that means to you. Uh, so obviously, the innovation of maybe a new technology, which these guys would know more of than me, but personally, my experience with innovation has been more around methodology innovation, like taking a job which the tendering team has thought of one way to do it and the drawings say this is the way you should build it and then having the time to stop and think and go is there a better way of doing this that will give the same outcome or a better outcome to the client which we can then do it quicker and more efficiently to save money yeah it doesn't have to be an invention does it no just be different challenging the way that we do things yeah. yeah which those are the things personally I love that like you think of a better way to do something that's where you're like yep I'm ready to tell mm. everyone about this and really feeds back to motivation and yeah, interest yeah. in the job and mm. hopping up every day to think about those efficiencies definitely yeah keeps you start drugged. to get efficiencies on program then you're starting to count dollars mm. make dollars well, you give more time to yourself as well to plan on other things mm. so it's a well the structures team had a quite an innovative approach to a project um, down in Tassie on the bridge strengthening. You want to talk to that, Pete? So the bridge strengthening project down in Tassie, there were seven bridges. Three of them required concrete breakout, removal and reinstatement on the underside of a bridge, which meant we had to shut the bridge down. Now, there was a set methodology in the client's specification, which required us to shut the bridge down for 40, 50 days straight with traffic control around the clock. So it was quite a excessive expense there. We explored other ways of, of achieving the goal. Uh, they wanted to get rid of the carbonated concrete. So essentially we left the carbonated concrete in place and treated it, realkalized it. Mm-hmm. So instead of breaking out the bridge and making it structurally unsound, we left the concrete in place and we didn't have to engage traffic controllers. So it was Bear quite in a mind, major win. Um, Pete, that methodology was adopted by the designer. Yes. And we had to prove to the designer and the client that this new technology worked and then for them to accept it. So it was a bit of a challenge, but we got it over the line. And Yeah, something that's sort of mm. not been done in Australia widely. There's an international standard and mm. we introduced it with the help of a consultant So, and it had successful results. So it was a yeah, great result. And you guys have gone on to win awards for that project and that technology and how you applied it? Yeah, can't remember the award. I think it was CIA. Concrete, Concrete Institute, Institute of Australia. Australia. They picked up an award there and I think it's... Project Excellence. Yeah, there's another couple of agencies that are looking at it as well. Um, but I think innovation, there's plenty of it around. I think it's about perhaps everyone keep their eyes to the open and ears to the ground and see what's out there and see how new technology may be to be able to be applied in, in our industry and how it might improve things or speed things up or make things safer. Or and Tim touched on it earlier, the, the clients now integrated that realkalization into their general specs. 
So for the next project, so they essentially see us as a, a bit of a market leader in that area and, mm. and they want to get us on the next job. So it just opens a few doors. Which that project wasn't financially successful, was it? No. So you, you didn't tick that box, but you excelled in another. Yes. You're forced to look for other ways to. Yeah, yeah, we had to do it. it. Yeah. And then you, the returns on that will pay dividends. Yeah, yeah, the future. And you know, to go forward. <laughs> That's pretty cool. We've touched on a lot of stuff here throughout this conversation. I think for me, a couple of the really important points that have come out and we've got really good alignment on, I guess, is understanding the customer, what they need, what their key drivers are on the project and getting them out early so that we're planning in accordance with those. The next one is what comes through the front door being the the estimating stage really sets up everything. And I think often the pre-contracts part of the business may not be fully acknowledged for the important work that they play in setting up good project outcomes. The planning, the six Ps, we didn't actually use the cliche, but proper planning prevents his poor performance. There might be seven actually. I think <laughs> that's the proper in. But the the concept of planning, getting everything resolved and planned before setting foot on a project, start late but finish on time sort of concept is, is I think, another one of those really important things here today. I think the other one is how are you going to go about communications and how are we going to deal with surprises with the client? You touch on that one, Lewis. When we get this, how are we going to handle ourselves? How are we going to conduct ourselves so the emotions out of the room and having clear patterns of communication up and down and have some fun and do a project that's interesting and exciting because I know for me, uh, and I've mentioned this a few times, but the reason I do this work is so that when I finish, it's like we've talked about it recently as a group, when you finish mowing the lawn, when you're finished, you always look back, right? You always look back and see the well, certainly Troy would see where the roller marks are in the, <laughs> in the turf to make sure there's no turf out of place. But it's, that's, it's that pride in what you're doing. And in the end of the day, all these projects, for the people involved with them, I think almost all of us would probably be aligned in that. We do this stuff because we want to be proud of what we're delivering and we want to always look back and acknowledge I had a part to play in that or I did that or I built that. So, yeah, I really appreciate you guys inputting on today's conversation. I think we've teased out some good good subjects so thanks very much for your time and thank you enjoy the rest of your day it's boys. an absolute pleasure <laughs> thanks husband thank you thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed today's episode of free dive we look forward to you joining in for our next episode if you'd like to share your story send us an email at freedive at pensar.com.au we look forward to hearing from you and remember if you enjoyed it tell your friends